This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of door to the lands of always winter, what is west of west, the shadows of the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Cat Napsuck, episode 33 of the show that looks back at HBO's Game of Thrones, looks in to A Song of Ice and Fire, and looks forward to The Longest Night, The Longer Night, Blood Moon. Let's hope we get an official title soon. Now let's hope we get to hear some news, and we got some prequel news today. You know, I was looking at some of the news, and we're talking about a potential casting, which could be of major import, or could be of uh, no import. We'll find out. But in reading some of the articles in the story we're about to talk about, it is uh, it's, it's, it's a reminder that this is still in a pilot situation. We know the Game of Thrones pilot was famously reshot, and that doesn't happen often. A show with this much prep and this much anticipation, I could see it. If it goes horribly wrong, getting another shot, let's rework it, let's make this happen. But I also think, even though it's a new creative team, Jane Goldman and her team, along with George R. R. Martin behind the scenes, I really, he's not a producer, not a director, he's not on the set, that type of guy. Uh, he might make an appearance wave, that's it, but he, and, and make some decisions, don't get me wrong, but it's a different thing to be a producer. But Jane Goldman and her team, they are doing it their own way, no doubt, probably keeping some of the aesthetic, the look, the feel of, of, of HBO's Game of Thrones, because they're connected. You want them to feel like the same, but I know they're doing it their own way, but this time around, they know what to do. Even though they might be trying to put their own stamp on it, you got to think, you're looking at the previous eight seasons of the other show, you know there's going to be the comparisons, you know there needs to be some sort of connection, you need to feel in the same universe, so you can see how they do it, maybe get a better handle on it, which is why I'm not worried about this pilot. I think this is going to go off without a hitch, and we got a series, and HBO at this point, you know, it would have to be really bad. John from Cincinnati uh, thud for it to not work. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. So let's dive into this news first, and then we'll uh, take a call. And in the second half of the show after the break, we had a special guest talking about well, one of her favorite characters and one of the better characters on the show that people love to root for and love to hate and love to love. Cersei Lannister coming up on the other side of the break. But looking to a couple of websites, but we want to link back to our friends at Watchers on the Wall, Sue the Fury, making this report that Vikings actor Tad Murphy, he plays Arn. I don't watch Vikings. I know it's a very good show. I have a lot of people close to me who love it. I just never picked it up. Uh, I don't know how to say this name. T-A-D-H-G. Tag, 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 Tad. He's not Tad Murphy. I'm not making fun of his name. I just struggle with any kind of name. I'm lucky I can say Jane Goldman. 
He's in an unspecified role. Now, this is a rumor. This is a rumor, but his agency, the Suzanne Norris Agency, has his resume, his CV out, and that lists him as appearing in the HBO pilot episode of the Game of Thrones prequel, Blood Moon. Okay. Is that the title? I, I, I'm not convinced. It's Revenge of the Jedi, Return of the Jedi situation. I'm not convinced what's on my screen on HBO, or HBO makes the official announcement, of course. He also was in Black Sails on Stars, and it was a, a dying soldier in 2004's Alexander, according to these uh, reports here about his resume. I'm not familiar with him here, but he has the look. You know, you look at the picture, especially on Vikings, and it's like, oh, yeah, he belongs in Westeros. Now, going a little further, and I'm reading from another site called Fansided, and they link back to a, a locations leak website. Yeah, that's right. And you can follow them on Twitter if you'd like. I don't, but I see the picture. So we'll say this is light spoiler territory. We don't know the context. We don't know nothing about it, but if you don't want to know anything, I guess stop. But there's, there's no plot. There's nothing. In it. It's just a picture, a series of pictures of uh, a set in Italy. It's the ocean. It's the water. And it is a boat. That's right, there's going to be a boat in Blood Moon. Do you like boats? Well, you're going to get a boat. Uh, it is, what's interesting though, is it is, uh, the boat has, they think Murphy's on this boat, which is why it's relevant to this article. The picture was posted back on July 15th from Go Tea Like Locations. If you like leaked set location pictures. It has a stark banner on it, but slightly different, like an earlier version. They hadn't really uh, finalized what they wanted the house sigil to look like, you know. And the boat is not a ship. It's definitely a boat. You only got about three, four people on it. You got some oars, no sails. And I'm not saying that's the only kind of water conveyance that's going to be in the show, but I like the look because it looks, I'll use the term, primitive early design, not as fancy. Not that I don't think you won't be seeing bigger ships, but it, I, it just makes me feel like, oh, this is a, thousands of years before the time period we know and expecting to be seeing a lot more simpler things, simpler castles and forts and holdfasts and bridges and and weapons and and boats and ships it, it sinks uh, sinks up in my mind there exciting stuff i normally don't look at leak stuff but it popped up and i just it just seeing the sigil there and seeing the way everyone looks it looks like we got some starks man and uh i i like that a lot and this murphy cat looks like he's got some stark blood in him the old gods and the new are roaming around his soul so it sinks up it fits and that's kind of exciting you think yeah i like that a lot so uh, what do you guys think? What's our anticipation level? Is it building for the prequel pilot? Blood Moon, whatever they want to call it. Blood Moon seems to be the one. As we talked about previously, I don't know if I'm completely sold on that, but a lot of times with names, I'm not sold on it. Until, until you know, you, you see it in action. You watch it in action. Game of Thrones is just one of those perfect titles. It just That's the show. It is a Game of Thrones. Uh, Blood Moon, like we talked about, could it be a Twilight offshoot? We don't know. But that might be what 
they're what they're going with, and I'm excited. I'm getting more excited as we start to look ahead and really look ahead. That's coming uh, more here on Casterly Talk. We've been taking what ifs and calls and and asking some good questions. We talked about King Drago last week. Uh, do you think Cal uh, Cal Drogo could have become King Drogo? Uh, if you still have some thoughts on that, call in through the Anchor app or Anchor and uh, let us know, or use the hashtag Casterly Talk on Twitter. We do have a call, call today uh, from our friend. Uh, I almost could call him a contributor at this point, Eric Monroe, and he's got a, a good question. It's a tough one for someone like me who loves seasons seven and eight probably more than other people, but I enjoy tough questions about these two seasons. Let's go with Eric right now. Hey, Ken Casually Talk. So one storyline that I really do feel would have benefited if Game of Thrones had more episodes in season eight and season seven is the John and Danny love story. And the reason I say this, you know, when you compare it to, say, to John and the Grit, it's almost an unfair comparison because John and the Grit had so much more time, half of season two. All of season three was about them falling in love. So when John in the season three finale tells Egrid he loves her, you know, I really buy it. But with John and Danny, it things just happened kind of fast. So when he's telling Danny, I love you, you're my queen, uh, I give up my kingship, it just happened a little fast. So when he killed her, I w- it was sad, but not, for me, it wasn't as sad as when Egrid dies. I-, I cried when. Egret died. I didn't cry when John killed Danny. I cried when Drogon came in and saw his mother was dead. So what do you think? Do you think more time would have benefited John and Danny? All right, Eric, that's a great question and a tough question. And I think it's what I like about it. It's more specific than just, ah, the season seven and season eight, uh, you know, it was rushed. It was rushed. Yeah, it was rushed. They were rushed. But I want some specifics. I, I don't think a lot of the things... Um, the big battles and everything suffered at all. You get the tension. We've been here eight years. We know the characters. We know the players. We know what's at stake. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. I'm good with that. I don't need to see everyone walking around, conspiring and planning. We've done that. We've been there. I was happy with some of this, the speedier aspects of the final two seasons. But I also know you are rewarded. You get rewarded by spending time with these characters. And yeah, some of them... Some of the arcs, some of the stories seem rushed. I keep going back to the Jorah one. I love Jorah, but he got healed. I'm happy he was healed. I like the way he went out. But, you know, it, it was it, fa- it was fast, and it, it didn't take away the impact. But it was like, oh, okay, oh, oh, okay. Jorah, he's healed. That, that journey's over. So, yeah, yeah, time, a couple more episodes. I think that's fair to say. But I really like the look at the John and Danny, the love story, the impact of it. It it did feel that they just kind of fell in love because they needed to. But here's the thing. My take on it is I think that was true for the characters, too. Now, quick answer. Eric, yeah, yeah, you're right. One or two more episodes uh, in either season. I think maybe more in season seven than eight where you really would have felt the connection. We felt the tension. I think all that worked. I think I think Amelia Clark and Kit Arrington really brought it, particularly in season seven. And by the way, I love the new series, uh, Rose Leslie, who plays uh, Egret, John Jon Snow's real-life wife, Kit Harrington's real-life wife, I should say, and Amelia Clark took a little vacation together. Oh, the conversations, uh, I'm sure they had. Good times, good times. Uh, which is funny, because, you know, they don't really, they didn't really spend time together on the show, right? Yeah, no, Egret and, and Danny never really crossed paths, so that was just a social life uh, thing, connecting them. Um 
Fascinating, fascinating. Imagine those two characters together, Egret and Danny, face to face. Ah, so you think you you think you love my Johnny boy? Uh, not that I always want to see uh, female characters fighting against each other, but that would have been interesting. Uh, all right, but back to the the point at hand. Yeah, again, I look at season seven for Danny and John. That's where the connection, maybe the turn, could have happened. But I think it was based in circumstance. I think it was based in lust. I think it was based in. Uh, in truth, I think these characters felt these things for each other, but they're both characters that had great loves that they lost tragically. And that might cause them, I've not been in that situation, but that might cause them to speed up, to take a chance when normally they wouldn't. Uh, John hadn't really moved on uh, post-Egret. Danny did. We look at Dario. Oh, we look at Dario. Um, Jorah fans die hard. His door, and in the books, of course, that plays out a little different too, but we know we didn't. she didn't love his door, and I'm sure she had some feelings and love for Dario, but clearly she knew he wasn't going to stick around. She had some uses for him. Good on you, Danny. But I believe the love between Jean and Danny, but you know what I mean? It's, it's the next one. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. No? Okay. And they were pushed together. Their peacock feathers got pushed up. You're the king of the north. You're the mother of dragons and the heir to the Iron Throne. And then a mutual respect and then a passion and a connection. I believe it was real, but like a movie. That's a problem with some rom-coms, right? If they're good, you buy it. But you only have a few beats to sell that connection. So writing a two-hour movie versus a, a long-form program is is a lot different, and, and and I think audience audiences want that more. We talk a lot in Star Wars about the new shows coming out, and how it's weird for me to say, but I actually am more excited that Obi Wan is a TV series, a Disney Plus series, than a movie. Two hours, you got to get to it, and you got to use one or two lines, a scene, a look to say they're connected, and a lot of. Romantic comedies or movies where romance is at a key, it sometimes falls flat. It can become an inside joke. And I think that might be a little bit at play here because the show didn't have the time, didn't take the time, or just felt, hey, you get it. And though I get a lot of things, it didn't pay off. Egret's death was painful, powerful. You felt that. You had so many seasons, two, three, into four, to fall for those characters yourself, to fall for the, the connection, to want them to return to the cave. Danny and Drogo, though, she only had one season, but the scenes mattered. I think if you look back, it's you don't spend as much time with them as you thought, but it's powerful and it's new and it's fresh to us as a story. And then she loses them. Danny and John, season seven, season eight, particularly, you know, they try to show it with the dragon riding scene, giggling over dragons, going to a cave of their own, and it might have felt cheap. And it, I'm not saying it was intentional, but again, this is we as fans. I don't think we as fans were supposed to buy it. I don't think a lot of other people bought it. Tyrion was dubious, perhaps from his own intentions and desires, but dubious. Everyone was dubious. 
even if they were on board, Davos, Brand attempts there's some kind of, uh, look at the young lovers, uh, they hold the future, and the, everyone's wondering. No one wondered as fans with Danny and, and, and Drogo. No one wondered as fans with Egret and John. But with John and Danny, we were meant to wonder, and I think we feel that. So when they go to their own cave, I said, well, I like that scene. I like that uh, Drogon's staring at John. That's real life. Pets know. Pets are protective. Trust me. But when they go to their own cave, or you know, the hint is, hey, they're heading to their own cave. I, yeah, I, I, it didn't feel as powerful to me. It felt like, God, John, you've already been in a cave. And the situation was better. Would more time have fixed that? Maybe, but I don't know if we were supposed to buy into it as much. I would have liked to seen a little bit more, and that's why Eric, in the end, I think you're right. I think you're right. But, and it, and it would have helped. It would have helped the end. Danny's death at John's hand is is to me powerful. It's powerful with Drogon coming in, like Eric said. It's powerful, but it means more to me to the characters as individuals than it does to their relationship. I don't, and I don't know. I don't know if that I, I, that this is my intake, take on it. You're you're listening now. You have a different take. That's why we I love these fandoms. To me, it was not sad because. John and Danny loved each other and he had to kill her. That, that is sad. It's inherently sad, but it is the culmination of their journeys. One, John's bittersweet at best, hard at best, and the payoff is him riding off to freedom, emotional freedom more than anything. And this cost, there's a big cost of what he has to do and and... Again, he's Frodo with the scars of war and love. But it wasn't necessarily specific for Danny. It was eight years. And same with Danny. Hers is a tragic tale to me. Anything about her early on, any lessons, any inspirations you took from her are still there. But you should also focus on the lessons that you need to learn about her from her mistakes. Failure's the greatest teacher. Danny made a lot. People pointed those out during the show. And we just. I don't know. Sometimes I think people glossed over them. There's a story being told there. Yeah, yeah, I heard some snarky people. Uh, foreshadowing isn't character depth. Uh, depth. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Sure. But go back. This is her story. It's not supposed to have a happy ending. Doesn't necessarily, nothing's guaranteed a happy ending in this series, in the show, in the story. And I think that final moment is powerful for me because these two characters as individuals get to this point and this is the end of that journey. This is the powerful, fatal, fatal and final lessons that they have to learn. And it wasn't necessarily about their love. But I could be wrong. And without a doubt, the love was supposed to be there. And maybe they it did miss on that a little bit. But I love it. It's complicated. I love looking at this stuff a little closer. I love questioning some things and just still trying to find the joy in the show we love. That's what we should do as fans more than be snarky about it, which is why I appreciate Eric's call. Always appreciate his calls. I always appreciate all of your calls. If you have some thoughts on this, uh, you know, what do you feel about that final moment? And would a couple more episodes or a couple more beats of their love made it better for you, bigger, bolder, more powerful, more painful? Let me know here on Casterly Talk. We're going to take a break on the other side. Let's pour a glass of wine. Talk about Cersei Lannister. 
you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Castle Talk. Thanks for sticking around after the break. Episode 33 in motion. We got a special guest in studio to talk about one of her favorite characters from the hit podcast. Grace and Alicia have lives. It's Grace Hancock. Welcome to Casterly Talk. Well, thank you for having me. I, I, I journeyed from across the hallway and oh, yeah. I'm, I'm weary from the travel, but, but so grateful to be here. But it's like a Game of Thrones travel. It's quick and to the point and we're already at our location. Correct. We love looking back here in Castle Talk on all eight seasons of HBO's Game of Thrones. We're going to start looking more specifically at characters, and this is one of our first little looks. Uh, this isn't some big, drawn-out report. I want the emotions. I want the feelings of this character and Cersei Lannister, or technically Cersei Baratheon, but Cersei Lannister, she's known far and wide. The queen of the Seven Kingdoms, the first female queen of the Seven Kingdoms, took that uh, at the end of season six in a memorable way. Uh, Grace, this is uh, without a doubt one of your favorite characters of this show, right? Absolutely. No, if I had to pick one, she would be my favorite. Why? What draws you to her uh, initially and what kept you there? Initially, what kept me there is obviously Lena Headey. been a big fan of hers for many, many years. Um, I like, she's a very handsome woman, mm. which is refreshing. She's not like this bombshell Bond girl. Yeah. So as an actor, I'm just like, oh, that's nice. And then she's also just so talented. It's stupid. It's just offensive how talented she is, truly. Like her little pinky finger mm-hmm. it should win all the Oscars. I met her once at Coffee Bean and I was like, eh, 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 eh. and that's what was I said. Was this during the Game of Thrones run or before Sarah Connor years? It was. Or? No, it was in the early, I want to say like season two or three. Oh, wow. Um, and I was very, because she's also kind of my size. She was very short. And I was yeah. like, <gasps> We're looking in the eyes. Um, but no, but I love Cersei because she's she's strong. She's fearless. She absolutely doesn't care. She likes to go right up to the line and then just very gracefully step right on over it. And I'm into it. Early on, what were some of the things uh, other than what you're talking about? You probably went in expecting it's Lena Headey. So whether you watched her in 300 or uh, any of the other, like I said, Sarah Connor, Sarah Connor, Connor Chronicles, where she was uh, Sarah Connor. uh, Did you, you were probably keyed in already, but what, you know, what about the character? What early moments in the show uh, made you go? Yeah, this is what I love about this character. She kind of holds her own. I mean, she's in a man's world, Mm -hmm. much like all of us women are Um, Mm -hmm. certainly in her position. Obviously it's fictional, but it's, you know, based on kind of medieval, you know, hierarchies of uh, male and female roles. Um, She holds her own. And I like the scene really early on when she calls out her husband and she's like, Hey, uh, do we have a chance? And it's just a really fearless moment. And you see a little bit of humanity. And this is the, did did we ever have a chance moment? Yeah. Yeah. This is a, that's perhaps if I had to make a list of top 10 Game of Thrones scenes, I put that in top 10. Uh, and it's and it's show only. It's not book. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you get a sense from her. And this is the the poem where, where you know Robert goes on his uh, Leanna Stark, and uh, you know. And I love <laughs> Robert's a complicated character, but I, I love him in this moment. Mark Addy's so great. But then he 
he asked her. He, I think he cares for a second. Like, how, how does that make you feel? You know, expecting a broken wing. Right. And she answers, I, I feel nothing. Right. And it just kind of, you get a little bit of her humanity. What, what do you, as, as an actor yourself, you watch and lean in this scene, just what the choices she makes are, all, are, are so good. Well, yeah, and just the nuance and the, and the idiosyncratic, I mean, her eyeballs are just so, they draw you in and they keep you there. And she's doing so much while physically doing so little, you mm-hmm. know, because that's just how great she is. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of similar to later on, much later on when you see, you know, Amelia Clark walk away from the wall after mm-hmm. her girlfriend gets beheaded. And you're like, that's how a villain is born. And this is kind of a similar, much smaller moment in a way, mm-hmm. not that she hasn't been leading up to it, but it's kind of like the final nail in the final coffin, like this poor woman who's just been right. abused, abused, abused. And it's just like kind of like that last little flicker when you're wondering if this conversation had gone differently, what could have happened? Yeah, that's an, it's an interesting point there in that particular moment. Uh, yeah, could have gone different. And you, yeah, you mentioned the word villain. And, and it's safe to say in a classic sense, she's a villain in, in Game of Thrones. But I think very early on, that scene was the one for me and like a lot of people like yourself that you started to see her side and you started to see understand what's going on. And even the great king, Robert, you start to see the problems with him and, and right. it becomes very real. So why she maintains this villain role I think over the course of the show, people are absolutely rooting for this character. Well, and I think that's the, I think, I think we say villain just cause we mm-hmm. work in entertainment, yeah. We're like good guys and bad guys. But I think for me personally, I think that all villains are anti-heroes mm-hmm. because every villain doesn't think he's a villain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Kylo Ren thinks that he's right. And yeah. that's what makes him great. And right. that's what makes her great is that she's like, you know, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil, you know? Yeah, from, from my point of view, Father, I'm the only one working hard to keep on your, your dynasty going, to keep your, your legacy going. The stuff with her and Charles Dance, Tywin, and, and his daughter is is also some of the more fascinating things. Right. Because I think she is uh, trying to keep up uh, while, while Tyrion's betrayed them or gone or whatever they feel. And, and Jamie's, you know, making his own mistakes and captured sure. things that aren't his problem. But you believe her in those moments, but she does make some mistakes. And what do you, what is a fan of this character as you're watching her kind of make some mistakes? How did you react to that? The high sparrow, she empowers the high sparrow. Um, Oh my God. I hate that season more than anything in the world. Where do you think that comes from, from character point of view? I mean, dare I say hubris, your favorite word of all time. I mean, I think she's, she learns later on in life and later on in the season that she's not, completely indestructible and mm-hmm. i think that that's something that comes as a shock and i think we see that with the high septum it's mm-hmm. she's just like totally thinking that she's fine and then her even when she's getting thrown into the dungeon she's like screaming like oh my god you're gonna regret that blah, blah, blah. and not to say that she doesn't later on she does exactly what she says yeah, yeah. which is just like uh mm-hmm. and everything like her delivery of everything is just so delicious because you don't see her very often, I think we could probably count on our fingers how many times in all eight seasons that she raises her voice, right. that she yelled, that there's a thing that's not this really just mm. graceful, just holding it in, just this smoldering under the surface at all times, which that's is a, so great. That's a really great point. I, I really hadn't thought of in those terms. Yeah, she's not screaming like Robert Baratheon, a lot Correct. of these other characters. Uh, Baelish doesn't scream to the end, uh, Varys, but for her, in a position of power, yeah, she... She doesn't scream a lot. When it happens, it's out of frustration, mostly out of it's when the the shield, the armor's off. It's around Tyrion or, or something like that, uh, based around her children and her life, the things that she keeps up such a good public face. But yeah, she's cold and calculated. And even when, when Joffrey's dying in her mm-hmm. arms, like it's not True. as explosive as one might expect. It's controlled. It's 
super controlled. Yeah. Cersei has that, has that. Uh, and I, I believe, you know, I, I think Tywin was just uh, smarter in this weird book sense, just like he's got all this experience and I don't think she's dumb or making mistakes. I just think she, she's trying to keep up his legacy, but trying to establish her own. And she's surrounded by other than Kyburn, just dumb bootlickers. And I, I think, Again, but you t- if, if another path had opened up, she'd be probably perhaps the, the greatest queen and ruler that ever was. You well, know? yeah, and it, and it goes to show what a, a life of abuse leads to. Mm-hmm. Nothing good. Nothing good. No. Very early on. And, and as much as I love the character of Tywin and, and consider him uh, a lot of skills, his undoing, which is what the story highlights, is he's a horrible father. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, that should be what his undoing is. But for for Cersei, let's go back to Cersei here. Uh, she goes to this moment. One of my other other favorite moments is her licking the water off the ground in the jail yeah. cell season five, because this is so. She go back to episode one, uh, the pilot. Cersei is the beautiful, most beautiful woman in the land. She's the queen, and now here she is, hair gone, everything about her is gone. She is stripped to the bottom. Right. Um, that stands out to me as one of the finest moments. Do you have some other ones uh, from from Cersei? Oh, of favorite moments? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, my very favorite of all time is, uh, what is it, season six, episode eight, I want to say, mm-hmm. when she says, I choose violence. Yeah, absolutely. I could just watch that scene every day all well, day. Well, we can listen to it here. <gasps> do it. Or do your man to step aside or there will be violence. Oh, my God. I choose violence. <laughs> and the... The mountain goes and kills there. We'll listen to the sounds of brutal murder uh, as we talk. <laughs> but again, yeah, to highlight what you said, uh, and I, I never slowed down to think of it. So she, she doesn't scream back. I choose violence. I'm gonna kill. She just no. It's very calculated. I she has a very there's a super high inner tempo rhythm and a super yeah. slow outer tempo rhythm, which is hugely fascinating. The dichotomy of the two. Right, and Lena Headey makes these choices time and time again as a performer. Yeah. To tell this story, to tell the pain. Uh, again, I think you're, you know, you're right. It, it, you, you're so on her side for a lot of things, but, but, but where someone like where Danny makes some mistakes, and you're kind of you're on her side, but you're like, come on, get it together, Danny. With with Cersei, to me, it just got more and more like, oh no, burn the world down. <laughs> and then she does at the end of season six and takes the best wine sip in the history of anything. I mean, icon. Mm-hmm. She's an icon forever. What did you think when you were watching that moment, season six, episode 10? Honestly, uh, the first time I watched it was with you. And yeah. I think if you remember, I was literally screaming and clapping. I was literally like, yes, I yeah. was so thrilled because there's nothing better than a slow burn of revenge. That's why mm. the, um, uh, yeah. the Steve Larson series, the millennium series, it's probably my favorite fiction of all time. Cause it's just the most beautiful slow burn well-deserved revenge and i hated watching the high what's his hell i could just the high i can't with that guy. oh Price. my god my blood was boiling that whole season long so it's just this wonderful full circle and it's like you don't mess with cersei she said right. she was gonna do it and she did it boom so she did it and she ascends to the throne and it's a pretty historic moment and and all these years of westeros never had a a, a woman on the throne and here she is she takes it and and with the best gown in the world oh my god i'm so happy you said that yeah it's it's pretty powerful stuff but also pays pays homage to the lannister name and her father it's weird it's all there yeah she knows where she came from but she knows she's done this herself 
Uh, and then it does start to unravel, and I am I am actually fascinated because I think you enjoyed her characters and more than the general public. And, and season eight gets talked about. I think you and I are on the same page about her. And yeah, she didn't have as oh, yeah. it seems she didn't have as much to do in season eight, and I could agree with that. But I also don't. It doesn't matter to me because I I love where the character ended up. Tragic. Same. What did you love about that? I think that a lot of people were like, we wanted a face-off, which 100%, I get that. Sure. But I also didn't miss that because I felt what could be a more poetic ending than for her to be literally watching physically, literally, emotionally, her world crumbling. It's literally physically Mm. crumbling. And then again, with those last moments with her and Jamie underneath, like at the root of the castle, literally, Mm -hmm. you know, their whole generations of blah, 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 they're there together. And she's she's freaking out a little bit and we see we almost kind of see her in this girl girl like childlike state where she's crying yeah. i don't want to die don't let me die and it's like this really it's you're not rooting for her to die even because you just see her be fearful and just show it it is it is in what you've described in talking about this character that just brings to me more powerful to moments to more powerful feeling to it i should say because she is so controlled in those final moments like you said it's not cersei lannister the queen there it's a, it is Cersei. It's like baby. It's like teenage. Cer- it's yeah. like baby Cersei with her brother. Yeah, you know, help me. I'm crying. Like it's and heartbreaking. It is, and and to me, we were talking earlier in the first half of the show, uh, Danny and John, and and their final moments <sighs> to me weren't about their love. It wasn't about a tragic love moment. It was it was a separate story of two characters uh, coming to that moment, and, and and in that moment with Jamie too. But Jamie will discuss another time, I'm sure. But. It, it is eight seasons of the, the the woman who gets off the 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 the, the carriage uh, the 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 wagon in episode one and uh, and yeah, kiss kiss my fingers and yeah. uh, the veneers up everything's up to that moment and it's that that is her story a tragic story it's not a happy ending but at no. the same time she's in the arms of the person she loves <laughs> as as much as weird as that is yeah and I mean I think that she. I don't know. I, I don't see a world where she would want to be taken out by Danny. You know, mm-hmm. I think that she might have preferred an ending that was in a way on her own terms. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. that she was killed by an enemy. She was with Jamie and yeah. And proclaims, I don't want to die. Yeah. That's broke. That's right. And, and to counter those, and I don't want, this isn't a season eight to criticism talk or anything, but to counter counter, everyone has their own opinions and, and, and desires for these characters. But that's why I don't feel Cersei, Danny staring at each other in some final fight. That's not that's not what the character deserved to me. Well, yeah, and I also I like I get it because it's like how powerful would that scene have been, just like as an audience member. But also two queens. To yeah. my knowledge, neither of the characters are trained in combat. You know yeah. what I mean? I didn't really know what people wanted. I was like, well, and one's on a dragon. Gonna get fried. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, I don't know what you want because we we saw Danny pick up a sword once in eight seasons, and I was mm. like, oh shit, okay. And I was super pumped. But clearly, like these are not women who've been trained with right. weaponry, so I didn't know what people really wanted. Yeah, and again, it's not a, to me. It's it's. Cersei didn't. Cersei doesn't deserve a comeuppance to me, even though as bad as as she was at times, and, and things she did as bad. Yeah, she's a villain at times, but she didn't deserve being burned uh, by a dragon. Some execution ceremony. Right. She deserved those final moments of true love and and embracing life at the end. You know, to me, I that was more powerful. Right. And it's just, it makes it even more poignant that, you know, if Tywin had just shown her just 
an oh. inkling of warmth or if her husband mm-hmm. had shown her just an mm-hmm. inkling of warmth, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you in real life when people have these horrible backgrounds, but then can grow up to be wonderful, well-adjusted, happy people. It's like, yeah. if just one scenario had gone differently. This could have and what changed. I, what I think is, I think Tyrion understood that because yeah. he's, he's faced and Jamie too. I think Jamie has his own burdens, but Tyrion especially is, is, is a marked character growing up, you know, and everyone has their opinions. Of, I think he has the most self awareness. Most self awareness, and he's aware of who he is and who she is, and and that's why he's more than a few occasions. I think a lot of stuff in season two of just like, well, you're this, but at least you love your children, and at least mm-hmm. you know, which is what he he uh, that builds to her uh, on top of the wall with Missandei and yeah. Tyrion giving her one last, I know for the child you're carrying, don't don't do this. Uh, that's powerful too. Yeah. But that she couldn't overcome that until the very end. Mm-hmm. And Lena Headey plays it so well. The best. The best indeed. Uh, do you uh, have any parting thoughts on uh, Cersei Lannister? Or anytime do you take a, when you take a sip of wine, do you do one for Cersei? I mean, I absolutely, let's have a glass of wine later mm-hmm. and let's toast to Cersei. Cersei Lannister. House Lannister. She carried on the legacy. She was historic in her own right. We'll be talking more about the character uh, down the line, but I wanted to get someone else's opinion. You don't want to just hear me talking while we wait for the others to come in studio. Uh, this is Grace Hancock, with, uh, who has the wonderful podcast. Grace and Alicia have lives available here on Anchor. Uh, you guys got a lot of cool things going, though. You don't just do a podcast. You got a community forming up around there, right? I know we do. It's been a lot of fun. We have our little inner circle going strong. If you support what, us on what Anchor. Is, yeah, what is the inner circle? If you support us on Anchor, basically the inner circle is a monthly newsletter that goes out at the end of the month that has all of our bloopers and BTS. If we mm. sh- Sometimes we'll shoot an episode. We'll put that in there. We'll announce special announcements and good things come down the pipe early in the um, inner circle so you guys get the first First view, stuff First like view. that. And if you were a member last month, you would have got exclusive video of a two-pound chihuahua in <laughs> sneakers. Yeah, we put the little video of Rat when uh, Ken got Rat, some little Chuck Taylor sneakers, and yeah. me and my mom filmed it. It went, depending on who you are, very well or very badly, but it's yeah. very funny. It's very funny indeed. So support Grace and Alicia Have Lives. Listen to their show every Monday. Uh, more things coming to them. Thank you, Grace, for coming in and talking about the greatest villain slash hero of all time, Cersei Lannister. Absolutely. We are about wrapping up Casterly Talk here. Thanks for listening today, all of you. If you got a thought on Cersei Lannister, I want to hear. Send us a tweet using the hashtag Casterly Talk or call into our show here on Anchor. If you got a Game of Thrones, what if? Look back at the previous eight seasons and ask yourself, what if? We talked a little bit, some what ifs of Cersei Lannister. What if she was shown just a little bit more support at certain times in her life? Might have gone a little different. There's those kind of what ifs and the big scenarios, the changes. What happens if so-and-so lives? What does that lead to? We love talking about those. And because we talked about news of the prequel series or the prequel pilot, be at the top of the show. More of that is coming, I'm sure. And we're going to start getting ready and really digging into the different houses and what might be at play during this time period. And also, don't forget, George is still typing out them words. The sixth book is on the way at some point. Can it be 2019? Probably not. Early 2020? Let's hope. The old gods and the new make it happen. So that is all for this week. We'll see you next time on Casterly Talk. (laughs) 